So this last week, I was sitting around a campfire on uh, the biggest island on the biggest lake in the world, and an uh, interesting trivia question that you could always win is, uh, what is the name of the biggest island on the biggest lake on the biggest island on the biggest lake? We said that before, but I just thought I'd bring it up again. Anyway, we're sitting around the campfire, okay, we're uh, closer to Minnesota, but actually in Michigan waters, and, um, and it's beautiful, right? You know, it's dark, although you can see a little bit of light pollution from Thunder Bay. Um, I wish they would have flipped the switch because it would have made it perfect. But you look up and it's just like absolutely intense, right? I mean, the Milky Way is as milky as it possibly gets, right? So we're sitting there and it's my oldest brother, second oldest brother, and his two sons and um, one of their sons, so my grandnephew. And, um, and then we, you know, you're sitting around the campfire. This is a place I haven't been to in probably 20 years. And, and you're reminiscing. And, and so there's family history, right? And so it starts off, uh, somehow we get into uh, relative size. I'm the runt of the family, just so you know that. So the conversation time goes something like this. Well, you know, uh, you know, Philip, Thomas, Paul, David, even Rebecca, Tim are all kind of patterned after Grandpa Gustafson and that side of the family. And, and then it came to my name, and Paul looked at me, and I'm like, yeah, I know, I'm the runt of the family. I'm, I'm the one that would have been, I would have been the last puppy chosen, okay? What's a little, little thing It didn't even hardly latch on? It's so little. It's like my little puppy voice, right? And so, like, we're sitting around, and truly, truly, my nephews are like giants. My nephew, Phil, is probably two inches taller than me, just absolutely solid, a firefighter for uh, Duluth. Um, my other nephew, Thomas, who actually was born on the day that I was born on, uh, the date, rather, not the day, that would make it hard, day, date, two different things. He's like six, seven, okay? And to be hugged by this guy, you feel weightless. I mean, he reaches down and he hugs you and he just, he, he lifts and hugs at this. At any rate, so we're talking, right? And, and all of a sudden, Oren is like, hey, there's a moose. Well, that's kind of cool. We're on the bay, okay? Sisquit Bay. And, 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 and this moose comes walking down, right? And it's a moose that its antlers are about this size, okay? And this isn't a big moose, okay? That would be the first to admit it. Um, it is a breeding bull, okay? So it has reached maturity. The bow time suggests that. And so it's about this size, okay? Now, the antlers are one thing, but the body driving the antlers are something entirely different, okay? And so this moose is slowly moving along the shoreline, right? And all of a sudden, Thomas jumps up out of his chair, takes like 50 steps down the beach, and starts speaking moose. <laughs> I had no idea he knew a foreign language. Sure enough, he's talking moose, and the moose is talking back, okay? And I'm like, this is cool, right? And so he's alternating between speaking with a male masculine voice, okay? And so this time of the year, moose kind of have one thing in mind. They want to make baby mooses, or is it mice? I'm not quite sure what the plural is at any rate. And so, so the challenge of speaking with a male voice is like, hey, let's do battle, you know? I got a good thing over here. Let's do battle and see who gets to do this good thing. The other voice that he uses is a feminine voice. And the moose is responding. He's speaking moose. The moose is speaking back. It's the coolest thing in the world. And it's moving closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. Now, when this all started, my second oldest brother slips off, okay, and takes his back trail down to the corner to kind of intersect where the moose is going to be, right? Okay, and I'm thinking to myself, and I said this more than once to Philip, I said, what's the end game here? 
Because if you're speaking moose and the words that you're using are either fight me or and the moose shows up and neither of those two things happen, someone's going to be mad. Like really mad. Like 1,000 pounds mad. What, how does this end well for anyone? At any rate, page 1,005. Verse 1, chapter 8, obviously I survived. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, for when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the new covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. It's loaded, but it's familiar, right? There's a better covenant. There's a, there's a better high priest. That is the point. It, it's not the end, but it's the idea that we're trying to get across. And why is this new high priest better? Why is Jesus better? Well, first off, he's seated at the right hand of the throne in heaven. And literally, it should be the heavens, okay? So it's not, the, the, the idea of the writer of Hebrews is, is not just, oh, he's seated in one place in heaven, like we think of, okay, well, he's seated right there. No, he's seated, he's seated in the heavens. This, this is a huge, huge view. This is not an imminent view. This is a transcendent view. This is a big, big, big view of the high priest, a big view of Jesus Christ. A minister in the holy places. Literally, a ministry is someone doing the work of God. And, and we understand um, that this has a professional designation, of a vocational designation. So the Old Testament priests, the tribe of Levi, would have been ministers. Okay, The prophets of God would have been ministers. In the New Testament, preachers and individuals who work in the church would be ministers. Okay, There's a, there's a professional and a vocational designation. But there's also the reality that we are all called to be a minister of Jesus. That we are called to do as Jesus would do. That we would do as Jesus commands. Someone doing the work of God. In this specific case, it is the best, biggest, greatest someone who has ever existed. It is Jesus. In the holy places, literally the word sanctuary. Distinctive, yet similar to the idea that we get in just a little bit of a tabernacle, okay? Tabernacle, old school thoughts, right? Old Testament thoughts. Tabernacle, tent in the wilderness. The meeting place of God. The sanctuary within the tabernacle, okay? This unique place where the high priest would go once a year with a cord wrapped around his leg in case he got knocked over dead, they could drag him out and meet with God on behalf of the people. 
That's the Old Testament imagery that is going into these phrases. A true tabernacle. Now that kind of plays a wrinkle with it, right? Are you saying that the Old Testament tabernacle wasn't the true tabernacle? The true tabernacle that the Lord, whenever you see Lord in this sense, it's Yahweh, set up the reign of God, the place of God that these distinct, unique places are where God exists. And that what was set up before was a hint of what would come. That other high priests have offered gifts and sacrifices on behalf of the people. On a yearly basis, you'd come with your, your animal that was perfect and it would be slaughtered. Some people are offended by the notion of hunting or fishing or the notion of something dying so something else may live, but we know that something has to die for something else to live, right? Even if you're a vegetarian, the vegetable has to die for you to live. So, right? Something has to die for something else to live. When we say we're crucified with Christ, the old self, Some of us wrestle with that reality. We've never come face to face with dying to our own self so that our new self can live. The high priests are offering gifts and sacrifices. Something dying, so something must live, can live. This high priest, Jesus Christ, also offers something. A one thing, once, not ongoing, not an endless regression into the future. Spoiler alert, he offers himself. Our high priest, three verses, loaded, absolutely loaded with meaning and imagery and ideation. Loaded but very, very familiar. A defense, if you will, as to why we should believe in Jesus Christ. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Why? Because he wasn't from the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, a hint of what has come, a shadow, shadows in the night. And yes, I was thinking of Pat Benatar. We're running with the shadows on the night. You know, I just couldn't. I just, it was there for my brain. It, the, the shadows... Have you ever noticed how cool shadows can be? A a hint of what is real. What is real? What is truth, right? This is a a subject that that we engage with in our society today. And some people will say, well, this is real, and and this is true, and and this is history, and, and this is that, or this is that. And it's intriguing to me because when I listen to voices on the right, like on the right of the political spectrum, they're all like, well, it's all this thing, and it's not that thing, you know? And then the people on the left over here are like, well, well, here's the truth, and it's this thing, and it's not that thing. And they're like, okay. I listened to this guy this last week. He's actually a Harvard Law professor, Randall Kennedy. Have you heard of this cat? Okay. A, a gentleman distinguished beyond belief, right? And, and he's a person of color, and he, and he grew up in the South. And, and I really liked his perspective, you know, because as a black man growing up in the United States of America, he has a unique perspective. And, and he's like, yeah, we've, we've come a long way, 
and there's still a long way to come. And I was like, hey, why, why can't we have more voices like that, right? Why can't we have more voices that are like, yeah, we got some problems. We also have some solutions. Why can't we be more conciliatory? At any rate, we wrestle with what is truth. We wrestle over history. And what Hebrews seems to indicate is that all of that wrestling is wrestling over something that isn't real to begin with. It's a shadow. It's a shadow. Now you say, oh, wait a second, John. What Hebrews is specifically talking about is the Old Covenant. Yes, I completely agree that the Old Covenant was a shadow, was an indication, was a hint of that which is yet to come. And I would be the first to admit, I'm taking that thought and extrapolating it on a much wider level and saying all that we see, all that we experience is a shadow of that which is yet to come. A, a shadow, like shadow boxing. Okay, a shadow boxer, you know, it's like two, two, two. Okay, you're not really boxing, but you're kind of boxing. You get the idea. It's like air guitar. You're not really playing the guitar, but you get the idea, okay? It's not, you know, or the trumpet, you know? I'm really not playing the trumpet, right? It's a hint. And you're like, well, those are obvious, okay? I can tell that you're not playing the trumpet. Yes, I agree. And that is the same idea that's implicit in the text. What we think we see that is so real isn't. It's a hint of what is coming. Like the old covenant was a hint, was a shadow, was an indication of a better way of doing business through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that all that we see, all that we see can point us to that which will exist in the future a hint of what is to come. That when we see wealth, the richest in the world, the richest among us, us as being incredibly rich, it's just a hint of the majesty and incredible nature of God who owns it all. The land that we see, look at behind me. If you're bored with today's sermon, just look there. It is incredible right now. Might be the prettiest time to be at Timberwood Church. That's a hint of the beauty that is yet to come. When we look at nature, when we see the Milky Way, when we see the stars come out at night, it ought to make us move to that day down the road when there is a new heaven and a new earth and we should want to do everything that we can do to be in that spot. Hence, the name of Jesus Christ becoming so important. The power that we think we see in the world, just a hint of the real power as it really exists grace that we see in the real world, just a hint of the grace that will be fully revealed, beauty that we see. And even the negative. The harm that is caused, it, it testifies to a future hope 
when there will no, be no longer harm, where little kids won't die because they don't have enough to eat. All that we see are shadows in the night giving us a sense of the hope and the reality that if we are found in Christ, it is a place to which we will be called, a place to which we will be invited to participate. And to me, that is an absolutely delightful thing to think about when I see the fall colors churning, when I see a moose walking down a beach, when I look up and see the Milky Way, when I see and think of you. Verse 7, for if that first covenant... had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. There's this consistent reminder of what is real, right? I, I flipped back on a journal that I had written way back when, okay? I was sitting in a lecture. There, there's a number of thoughts. Some of these thoughts I've shared for because they're highlighted, so I know I've shared, you know, things like don't define it. We're talking about the church. Don't define it. If you define it, you kill it. Keep the magic. Keep the romance. The person said this, how to inspire spiritual formation. Discipleship is about inspiration first, then teaching. The world needs heroes. Jesus is a hero. Inspire. Casting a vision. It's personifying the value of pointing people to Jesus. If you can say one thing about Timberwood Church, I hope people would say it's a place where they point, where we point to Jesus Christ, the importance of Christ. This one, nobody goes beyond the basics. We go to the Bible for our definitions, all pointing to Jesus. There is something about his life that is so attractive because become like Jesus And then the challenge, right? Because the greatest problem, I've highlighted this, I've spoke these words to you before, the greatest problem in the church is we are not like Jesus. Did you see the Olympics this summer? This young individual from Apple Valley, um, Gable Steveson. Have you seen this cat? He wrestled at 125 kilograms, okay? That's not 125 pounds. 125 kilograms, so you've got to multiply that number times 2.2, so 2.2 times 125, it's a lot, okay? It's like, it's like one of my nephews, right? Okay, so like, and he's this giant of a man. He's not terribly tall, but just this absolute giant of a man. He's in the gold medal match, okay? He's wrestled well, but he's behind with 11 seconds left. He's behind by three points with 11 seconds left. Now, if you know wrestling at all, you know that there's a variety of different ways where you can score coins. You can score points on a takedown, okay? You can score points by, by exposing your opponent's back to the mat, okay? And some people are really good on the ground, right, on the mat, okay? And so you might know something sophisticated like a guillotine. You're flipping across body, you grab the neck, and back 
Okay, back points, exposure. You can get three back points. Tie the game. Or other complex. You might know a, a near side cradle or a far side cradle. And you, but, but the thing about those things is they're, they're a bit more to them. They're a bit more complex. You also may not know that Apple Valley is a, uh, like a wrestling powerhouse in the state of Minnesota. And they've made their bracket. Whether or not you like wrestling or not, I'm really not a big wrestler, but, but whether or not you like wrestling or not, you've got to respect, okay, like, like their ability to train. And, and what they train is the most basic elemental thing. Takedowns. Takedowns. And so they drill takedowns, single legs, double legs, high crotches, takedown, takedown, takedown. They drill, they drill, they drill, they drill, they drill. In a mat, it's not uncommon to see an Apple Valley wrestler take its opponent down, let him up. Take the opponent down, let him up. Take the opponent down, let him up. Take the opponent. And pretty soon you've outpointed your opponent 20 to 10 and you've won by technical fall. And your opponent is absolutely debilitated because, because there's just no break. And it's simple. It's simple. The same thing over and over and over and over again. So Gable Stevenson, Apple Valley wrestler, high school champion, gopher wrestler, go gophers, NCAA champion, Olympic, hopefully, right? But we know he's an Olympic gold medalist. He's down by three with 11 seconds left. And I didn't think that I really had the thought at the time, well, he's got this in the bag because no one's going to think that. He's going to lose. And there's nothing wrong with being the silver medalist. Second place, good job. People should feel good about doing second place. Second place, good job. Good effort. Don't be angry. You got second place. Good job. That's a loaded statement that I just made there. <laughs> but after it was over, I'm like, of course you won. 11 seconds left. It was just a drill. Two simple, ordinary, easy to understand takedowns. I think one of the reasons why Hebrews does what it does is because it's so easy to forget. And so Hebrews drills and drills and drills and drills and drills around this reality. The takedown is Jesus Christ. That he is everything. So my nephew, he's talking moose, right? And like I said, I had no idea he spoke a foreign language. Okay? And part of the idea, okay, when you're like, like when I was, when I shot this moose, okay, I was on this lake called Kishkabog in, um, Kishkabog, um, in uh, uh, Ontario. And, and basically I was sitting by myself. I wasn't talking moose. I don't speak a foreign language. And um, the moose was like, <laughs> coming through the woods. And all of a sudden it got really quiet. And then the moose appears on the edge. And it's like 350, 400 yards away. And I'm like, I'm just going to let the moose get close. Quiet, sat on this rock. Moose walk and walk and walk and walk. There was this stream that I figured, hey, if I get a shot, I'm going to wait till it crosses the stream because it's easier to get the moose across the stream on its own power than have to drag it myself. Well, I wouldn't have because I was a little guy on the run to the family. Remember, I got brothers that take care of that stuff. 
And yet, you let it walk closer and closer and closer, crosses the stream, and obviously the horns are there. But we're in a federal park. You're not going to shoot the moose, right? That's like a big no-no. You get in a lot of trouble for that, doing that on Isle Royal. What you want to do is get the moose to come close. And my brother Paul had, had done this little flanking thing, and, and, and Thomas calling, speaking moose, and, and, and the moose gets closer and closer and closer, and Paul's like behind this clump of birch trees. I don't see him. This is a story that he told after the fact. And the moose, Paul moves slightly, and the moose stops. And it's like 30 feet away, which seems like a lot, but it's not a lot. The goal in speaking moose was to get the moose to come close. And that reality is a shadow of the reality that is true. The end game? Getting as close to Jesus Christ as absolutely possible. That's it. That's it. Becoming so convinced that irrespective of what you're facing, all you want, all I want, is to be next to Christ. It's not the end. It's the point. Please pray with me. Father, allow our hearts to draw near to you through your spirit and because of the work of your son, Jesus Christ. Convince us, O great God. Remind us through the work of your spirit. Of all that is true and all that points to all that is true. And let us embrace the truth and the reality of who your son declared himself to be. How he lived, how he died, how he experienced the resurrection. And how he offers life to us.